Coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fourth Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. All right, and uh, this is that week of the year, the second week of the year where I have to look at my phone and see what day it is. Uh, so happy Wednesday to you, uh, Siri says, and welcome to The Ron Show on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. So uh, my guest today is Andrew Heaton, principal and founder at Sagamore Hill Consulting. Figured we'd have some fun and do some 2024 prediction stuff. Folks love doing those kinds of shows, and folks love listening to and watching those sorts of programs as the year starts. So we'll do that ourselves. First things first, Andrew, I want to start with you, and, and, and let's take care of a little bit of business from uh, while we were on break. Uh, we, we saw where Judge Steve Jones decided the three maps the GOP sent were actually okay. And I think you and I both were on the same page that we kind of figured two of the three might wind up in a special master situation. But... All three came back sort of rubber stamped. Uh, did that surprise you? Yeah, I, it, it surprised me. It surprised most of the folks over at the DPG. And honestly, it surprised a lot of the Republicans. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think a lot of them were under the assumption that at a minimum, the congressional maps were probably going to get slapped down. Yeah. There might be some questions about the Senate maps. Uh, so I think everybody was, uh, obviously the Republicans were pleasantly surprised. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody else a little less so. But yeah, I, th I think it was a bit of a shocker, um, mostly because, it, you know, the language in the original order had specifically said that any corrections sh should not come at the expense of an opportunity district. Mm -hmm. And we're very well aware that the congressional maps especially came at the expense of an opportunity district, mm -hmm. specifically the 7th congressional district, which was chopped from predominantly Congresswoman McBath with sl a small slice of North Gwinnett was, uh, I believe, Clyde's district. Uh, and all of a sudden now it, you're going to have four different Congress people representing Gwinnett County. Um, and I guess the judge looked at that and said, well, yeah, that, that's not great, but, uh, you created a majority black district and that was the main thing I was looking for. So yeah, you're good to go. And yeah, it is what it is. You could, you could argue that geographically Gwinnett is a really large County, uh, in a state of really small counties. So you could, you could argue that there, there might be two kinds of Gwinnett County resident, but four, I, uh, to me, that's a hard pill to swallow. It's 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 a bit of a stretch. It's a bit of a yeah. I sure. I mean, to have a county have two different Congress people that that's normal. That's yeah. not a especially in the day of ger gerrymandering. That's not unheard of. That mm -hmm. that's not shocking. But three, you're starting to stretch four different Congress people for one county. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's really and it's really hard for that county or even its uh, county governance to have a singular voice when it has to go to four different Congress people to try and get something done. I, I can imagine if you're a Gwinnett County commissioner, you have to be, you know, shaking your head going, ah, now I have to look on a placard to see which one I go to if I need something. I'll give a bit of a bright side to that for the, the local Gwinnett uh, County delegation and the state delegation. The other way you could look at that is if you're not having much success getting your local congressperson to move on something, you, you could just go a couple streets over and get the next congressperson <laughs> to see if their office might move on yeah. it. So, you know, yeah. it gives you a little bit of leverage as far as opportunities to, to get something done. If you're getting stymied in one office, you got three other offices to go to. So I guess there's a little bit of a bright side for the, the mm -hmm. local folks there in Gwinnett. That's one way to look at it. I'm kind of curious, though, if, if maybe... Part of the problem that we're not really addressing, uh, those of us on the left who are kind of commiserating this uh, result, is that the Voting Rights Act really speaks more to black voters and, 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 and disenfranchisement and trying to stem disenfranchisement of black voting power when we're looking at what was, I think, uh, a blatant disenfranchisement of 
uh, Asian and uh, Hispanic American voting power in particular in Gwinnett County? So on the one hand, you're, you're right. And I think barring the original order mentioning opportunity districts, I think everybody probably would have been like, well, okay. And, you know, because the analogy to Alabama that a lot of folks were making um, and how the special master got appointed there, the Alabama legislature like literally spit in the face of that original order and did not create an additional majority black district. So, I mean, they, they blatantly went out of their way to ignore the order. This, in this instance, the Republicans said, well, you told us to make an additional majority black district. Here you go. And judge Jones, you know, in his, in, in the court hearing, I mean, he made it fairly clear. Like, yeah, that, that was the majority of all I care about is an additional majority black district. And so to his mind, the, the, the bulk. And again, if his original order had not spoken to anything about do not do this at the expense of an opportunity district, it probably wouldn't have caused as much consternation. I think what causes some of the heartburn for us is we're trying to interpret the first order and then understand how the second ruling it comes down to, the, you know, how do those two jive? But, you know, that's that's why I'm not a judge, Ron. <laughs> yeah, me either. Oh, that and the education part. Uh, so here's a question that I think I want to take a bright side approach to, since you just motivated me to think uh, from, on the plus side. Does this create any more competitive districts at any level here at the, at the state house, at the state Senate or the congressional level that Democrats can at least say, well, actually, we may have some more competitive districts to try and fend for? Uh, definitely not at the congressional level. Definitely, probably not on the Senate side. On the House side, there might be a couple of pickups. They might get a chance to shave the margins there. It's definitely going to be nowhere near what they were hoping for, you know. But I think, I think, yeah, I think on the state house side, you're going to see a, you know, maybe two or three seats that are going to be slightly more competitive now. They're currently held by Republicans that the Democrats might be able to flip. Um, but that's still going to keep them fairly far from recapturing the house, which was obviously their big hope. And let's, uh, let's, let's tell the dirty little secret. Gerrymandering isn't just something that Republicans do, uh, specifically in Georgia. In fact, Georgia doesn't even rate as one of the most gerrymandered states in the country. Uh, they're really egregious about it in states like North Carolina and West Virginia and Kentucky, Arkansas, Louisiana, Texas, uh, Utah, uh, Wisconsin, and, and we're starting to see the tide turn there, Ohio, Pennsylvania. But it happens in blue states as well. So my question is, if Democrats are unhappy about it happening in states where they're you know, trying to at least see some representation comparable to their portion of the electorate, why can't Democrats in states like Georgia work with Republicans in states like Illinois and say, we need to come together and fix this so that we're all doing better at the ballot box and giving the will of the people back to the people? So, you know, I do think you have some good faith actors on both sides of the aisle in various states who have tried to do just that. Look at us being bipartisan. You know, we, right. And, and exactly. And, 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 you know, we, you know, we've talked a little bit about uh, this last time I was on, you know, talked about states that have passed like citizen commissions mm -hmm. that, that try to make nonpartisan maps or, or at least create, um, you know, the ability to pass nonpartisan maps. Um, you know, and I, I think you'll, you'll find, but I think what unfortunately happens is that the people who tend to be pushing those, regardless of which side they're on, are in the minority in the state they're in. Um, and, and, mm -hmm. and that never becomes an idea that, that gets any chatter unless you're in the minority. And once you're in the majority, then, it, you know, unfortunately, the, the nature of, of our politics, the parties say, all right, well, now we're in a majority. We're squashing all that. Uh, we're squashing all that talk, and we're going back to to making sure we keep control. Um, and and even in states where 
you theoretically have a citizen. So New York, you know, has a commission, but it ultimately comes back to the legislature. And now, you know, that the courts in New York have have told them to redraw their maps, you know, the New York Democrats are basically looking at that as an opportunity like, all right, we're going to get our seats back and we're going to, you know, we're going to fix what went wrong in 2020 because they took a they took a lot of hits. Um which were more probably the fault of the party itself than mm -hmm. the way the maps were drawn. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, and even here in Georgia, you, you know, you do have some folks that are on both sides of the aisle that I think would like to see something like that uh, pursued. But I think, uh, you know, unfortunately just the reality of how American politics plays out and we're so at the top levels, we're so stratified by partisanship that I, I don't. Uh, unfortunately, I just don't think it's really going to get any major movement uh, either at the congressional level or within the individual states. Yeah, and what scares me is it, it, it tends to be, I see anyway, anecdotally, left-leaning states that want to go about it the right way, and then they turn to see how many red states are going to, nobody, nobody's behind them to follow. And so we, we give up our bargaining chip in such a way that uh, it gives us a disadvantage on the whole. So we're heading to to the uh, 2024 legislative session here in Atlanta. Any predictions? What are you hearing? Uh, well, you know, I think we've seen a lot of chatter. I, I think the big thing I'm keeping an eye on is we're going to see vouchers come back. Uh, school vouchers are going to come back on 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 the agenda. I don't know if that's necessarily part of the governor's uh, legislative priority list, but it's definitely out there. And they got close last time. They've been working a lot uh, in between sessions to kind of work on the Republican members who voted against the vouchers. Um, a lot of those rural Republicans who see a lot more risk in taking money away because public schools play such a large part in their communities. Mm -hmm. Their colleagues and the leadership have been definitely working on them uh, in between sessions. So I think it's you know, given we're going to see school vouchers come back. It's going to be interesting. You're going to see, because there, there's no real statewide elections, but there is the presidential election, it's going to be interesting to see how some of that influences the legislative agenda, and especially because you've got in Kemp someone who, while he is not up for re-election, and he's not on the ballot this November, and he doesn't necessarily have anything in the immediate, he is someone that everybody talks about as a potential future senatorial candidate. Mm -hmm. And, and so this is, you know, a, another opportunity for him to potentially pad his resume. I wouldn't be shocked. I think it's almost a given you're going to see some more work around uh, lowering taxes. It is, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. You know, I think you've got a couple of your members of the Democratic caucus have got some priorities, but given their control of the, yeah. of the chamber, it'll be it'll be hard to see a lot of that go forward. Uh, I know Representative Michelle Al has really been pushing for this gun safety legislation that revolves around keeping guns in lockboxes. It's so storage. common sense. It's so common yeah. sense. And we just saw another four-year-old die of this uh, here yeah. recently. And, and does seem like it's maybe getting a little bit of, of traction, that it might see a little bit of daylight. So I, I'm keeping an eye on that to see how far she can go with that. But, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think the biggest thing I'm keeping an eye on is, is what happens with vouchers. And then, of course, you got some of your real more political grants. I mean, they took the special session as a chance to take swipes at both the Atlanta Public Safety Center and the Hamas-Israel situation. So mm. I, I would not be shocked if both of those also come up once again for, for some kind of, uh, you know, just a way to tweak at the Democrats heading into a national election year. So before we take a quick break and come back and do predictions, I want to ask you about Medicaid expansion because that seems to be getting a little bit of of a buzz is there any potential for that to come through this legislative session i always keep my hopes low on that just because i i at mm -hmm. the end of the day i'm not sure if it's ever really going to get enough traction within the broader 
Republican leadership of, of the House and the Senate. With that said, I think what will be interesting to see is their big thing is they want these certificate of needs for hospitals and medical centers in the state to be reevaluated and, and, and how certificate of needs are issued. Mm-hmm. That's a big point for them, especially for Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones. Uh, yeah. And, um, his, and his dad. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and so, um, and, and that's, that's one thing that's been floated out there is a potential bargaining chip for a uh, larger Medicaid expansion. So, it's not completely off the table like it was a couple of years ago. It, it, you know, I think there is a little bit of daylight, but if I had to put betting on, on it, I, I'm not going to be too optimistic about it. Uh, speaking of betting, do you think we get an expansion of uh, betting and wagering? Because that seems to be a hot topic with Republicans now. Oh, God. I, you know, I thought last year. I thought last year was it. So I, you know, I, I, no, I still, I don't think that enough's been done for them to push it through. Uh, I could be wrong, but I thought last year was it and it went nowhere. So yeah, interesting stuff. All right. So uh, we're going to come back and do a little quick round robin of some 2024 predictions, a little Q and a on that and some fill in the blank. Andrew Heaton, a principal and founder consultant at Sagamore Hill Consulting, joining us on the Ron show when we return here on the America one radio app, America one radio.com or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show. We are with Andrew Heaton, principal and founder, consultant, Sagamore Hill Consulting. And I figured we'd spend a little bit of time here on this uh, this segment doing some 2024 predictions. Do you like doing predictions? Are you good at them? Uh, I don't know. I don't know how good I am at them, but I, you know, I enjoy doing them. I've got, mixed, like a lot of folks, mixed track record, but we'll, let's give it a go. All right. Let's start with, uh, I think, which is a pretty big local one. Uh, by this time next year, the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center will be what? Uh, fully under construction. Oh, I think it already is. If not finished. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If not finished. But as far as anything stopping it, no. Do you envision there being a referendum? Based on the latest reporting that I've seen at the AJC, I'd say probably not. And how do opponents react to that? Will we have more of the same? Will we see violence? Will we see protests that turn violent? What, what do you anticipate? Um, I, I definitely think we'll see more protests about it. I think you'll see some sporadic violence. At probably some property damage again. Man, I hope you're wrong about that. Because listen, I, I, I'm I'm sympathetic to the cause, uh, very much so, actually. But where they lose me is when they destroy construction company property, uh, whether mm-hmm. on site or on their, you know, on someone else's property. It, it just blowing or burning up cop car. That's the stuff that just sours me. It's it's hard to it's hard to remain sympathetic to the cause. It's kind of self defeating to the cause, yeah. and I. But I think unfortunately, I think if it plays out where they feel like they got enough signatures to get a referendum and then they're told that their signatures don't pass and they can't have a referendum. I think it's going to spark a lot of anger. Yeah. And so I think unfortunately it's probably something that's going to happen. I mean, I, I guess it's, it's too much to wish that uh, Atlanta city officials go, eh, you know what, this is close enough. And this is obviously a hot button issue. We feel confident it'll pass. Let's put it on the ballot anyway. I just don't, I, I, they should do it. They've yet to control the narrative. They've, they've not been anything, but you know, the bad guys, uh, on, on top of the dark tower at Gotham City with this, but I I don't. Think- oh yeah, I, I like look. I and I think we've talked about this before. Like I, to my mind, like they could have gotten ahead of it early on and yeah. said, okay, fine, you want to put it on a referendum, let's yeah. do it. And I think they probably could have kept a lot of goodwill on their side. Yes. And instead, they fought it tooth and nail and made themselves look like opponents of democracy in theory. And so yeah, I, uh, yeah, I I think they could have done themselves a lot of good, but yeah, I don't see it happening. Do you think that has an impact on grassroots organizing and energy and enthusiasm for the 2024 election cycle? Oh, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, I do. Um, I mean, I, I think it is going to play into, I mean, there, you know, there's already a dampened enthusiasm for the 24 election, and I, and I don't think it's going to help at all. And I think it's going to be pulling teeth, and it's going to be rough to get a lot of the grassroots leadership out there. 
So who isn't a household name uh, amongst Georgia Democrats and liberals that will be in time to announce maybe a statewide office run by 2026? Who do you think we'll be hmm. learning about and, and getting to know better and becoming a household name? Well, I don't, I don't know about household name, but I'll say somebody I'm keeping an eye on is uh, State Senator Jason Estevez. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's fairly well known in the Atlanta metro area, yeah. but he's not fairly well known outside of that. Now, that said, interesting side note, him and his spouse just opened up a Flying Biscuit franchise down in Columbus. Oh, cool. So Interesting. Uh, <laughs> cool for him from a business standpoint, but also interesting for him from a political standpoint. Yeah, a little footprint there, right. Yeah, exactly. So, and I think he's just, he's extremely well-liked. He's very charismatic. The kind of uh, politician that can motivate folks when he speaks. Mm-hmm. He's been solid on policy. And he, and he just has the look, you know, as much as we like to pretend that that's not important. It absolutely is. Yeah. And he looks like a guy who you'd want uh, leading. So I'm, you know, I'm keeping an eye on him mm-hmm. and seeing what he's going to do. Trying to think, you know, I think... What's going to be interesting is with this recent re- with this recent gerrymandering, uh, State Senator Elena Parent had her district fairly radically redrawn. It was actually one of the Senate districts that became a majority black district. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see how she does. She's already signaled she's going to run again, but she's someone I've always kept on uh, kept on the back burner as she has profile, she has the background, she has the educational background, she has the experience now. And she has the network to to be able to fundraise on a statewide level. Mm-hmm. I think those are probably two of my picks to to really keep an eye on. Okay. So uh, by this time next year, we'll be two weeks away from uh, an inaugural ceremony on Capitol Hill. And who will we be waiting to get sworn in? You mean as far as president? I think we're still going to be looking. At, I I think at the end of the day, and maybe this is hopeful thinking. I think we're still going to be looking at us swearing in on a second term for President Joe Biden. Yeah, I, I want to be optimistic about that, and I try and uh, make that pitch all the time. The, the economy seems to have not only righted itself, but I, in some in some ways it's in glowing terms. Unfortunately, it's at the family kitchen table where folks are kvetching over their budget and where inflation has subsided, but it's not going backwards and making things more affordable. I just kind of hope that the next 11 months will will give uh, those family budgets a a little bit of a break and maybe they'll see some income coming in because the economy is still doing so well that um, folks will will come home and, and, and vote for the right candidate. Yeah, I think, you know, I think there are a couple of things. One, I think you still have, you know, yes, you have an economy that is writing itself. And yes, while it still needs to and I'm loath to use these, use these words, but it still needs to trickle down to the yeah. kitchen table. Yeah. Um, but it does. Uh, but I think we're sl- we're even there. We're starting to see some signs that it's it's getting better. Um, and and I think the combination of a, a, a economy shaping up, a once again, it, you know, it, there is no sign the Republicans are not going to nominate Trump again. Mm. And so you're going to have once again Donald Trump on the other side of the ticket. And then I think what we've seen out of every midterm and special election over the last two years, you know, or maybe not two years, but since um, the Dobbs decision, um, uh, abortion is a massively motivating factor. Mm. And and so I think the trifecta of those three things, I think at the end of the day in November is going to come down and and allow President Biden to pull out a a reelection. All right, I'm going to give you uh, a, an easy one here. This is a sports question. Uh, what, do you want the Falcons question or the Braves question? I didn't get to ask you that. Give me the Braves question. All right. Uh, is, is, is the signing of Chris Sale, uh, Charlie Morton 
I, you know, I, I hesitate to say it's Charlie Morton 2.0, which I don't think is a bad uh, thing. No, it's no, no, no. Please don't get me wrong. I, I, I'll, I'll ride to the sunset for Charlie Morton. Yeah. That man can do no wrong in my eyes. He's, you know, even getting hurt last year. Like yeah. that's fine. It's going to happen. Um, I think with Sale, his last three years have been a little rockier in terms of injuries. Yeah. Uh, but man, when he is right, he's right. And the better thing, the the bigger thing with with Sale is. You do need it. Like he is a fiery guy yep. to to his own detriment yeah, at yeah, times. Yeah, we need um, that. But we it, it helps to have some guys. I mean, one of the biggest X factors in that twenty one run. Yes, it was the talent. But man, it was Jock Peterson. Yes, it yes. was Jock Peterson having that mentality, having that attitude, yep. having that swagger. The man mm. wore pearls out onto the field and had grown men across Atlanta wearing pearls. Yeah, you're right. I mean. You, you know, and writing, right, you know, dropping f bombs in national publications. <laughs> I mean, you need a little bit of that. And and Chris Sale, you get if he has nothing else, and he has a lot else, but he has that. And I think that that's the kind of thing that can be a mental edge in the clubhouse. Yeah, I don't disagree with you there. All right, Andrew Heaton, principal and founder, consultant, Sagamore Hill Consulting. Thanks so much for spending some time with me on the Ron Show today, and happy New Year to you and yours. Absolutely, Ron. Back at you. Take the Ron Show wherever you go. Download the America One Radio app to your smartphone and listen on the go. Or in traffic, wishing you were on the go. The Ron Show on America One Radio. So while you are fa la 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 lying your way through the holidays, the Republican House majority sent Congress away. And they're still away. Not back until next week. We're about 13 days away from a government shutdown. And yet we can't get Congress back. You're back to work. I'm back to work. We're all back to work. But Congress is not, despite the fact that there is another looming government shutdown, despite the fact that Ukraine still needs military aid to fend off an invading Russian army at the behest of Vladimir Putin, and despite the fact that Israel still wants money for its war against Hamas. Now, they're preening and parading their way along the southern border in Texas to talk about the needs of homeland security while denying the needs of homeland security in the next few days, like less than two weeks. And actually only one, only one week of negotiating with uh, the White House to f- continue funding the government. But also, the Republican Party has decided to open an impeachment inquiry. And I'm going to let Politics Girl, a.k.a. Lee McGowan, explain what that's all about. Bear with me. This goes about seven minutes, but she's so entertaining. So the U.S. House of Representatives voted 221 to 212 to open an impeachment inquiry into President Biden. Every single Republican House member voted to consider impeaching the president, despite them finding absolutely zero evidence to justify that in their 11-month congressional investigation. From the day they were sworn in as the 118th Congress, the stated goal of the most extreme members of this party have been to impeach the president, fundamentally as retribution for Trump being impeached. And now they have voted to go ahead with a formal inquiry without cause. And as an American citizen, this should really upset you. Government officers don't get to just publicly claim people committed crimes without evidence. We don't arrest people and tell them we're going to look for the evidence later. That's not how it works, and we shouldn't be okay with it working like this for an impeachment. Impeachments are supposed to be a huge deal. To accuse a sitting president of a high crime and misdemeanor is a giant blow to the country, and until now it's been used incredibly sparingly. 
There have only been three impeachments in the 247 years America's been a nation. There was almost four, but Nixon resigned before he could be impeached. Impeachment should be incredibly rare. And until Donald Trump, it really was. In fact, two of the three impeachments in our country's entire history belong to him. Impeachments are also so serious that you should be able to explain why they're happening in less than 30 seconds. We have recorded evidence of Donald Trump trying to blackmail a foreign ally to smear his opponent and win an election. We have recorded video footage of Donald Trump instigating a violent attack on the Capitol in an attempt to stop the certification of an election and keep himself in power. We have public testimony that Bill Clinton lied to cover up an affair he had with an intern in the White House. Personally, I never thought that one rose to the level of a high crime or misdemeanor, but what can you do? Well, what you can do is see from the history of our impeachments that Republican presidents face impeachment when there is evidence they've committed a crime. Mm -hmm. And Democratic presidents face impeachment when they're doing really well and somebody needs to hang something on them. Impeachment is therefore a way to either hold a president accountable or a way to smear and distract your opponent. And make no bones about it, that's exactly what this impeachment inquiry is. A political hit job on a successful sitting president running for re-election. The goal of this inquiry isn't for Republicans to catch a criminal president. The goal is to tarnish Joe Biden's name just enough to beat him in an election. Remember Benghazi? Remember but her emails? <laughs> Kevin McCarthy <laughs> said the quiet part out loud when yes. he said, everybody thought Hillary Clinton was unbeatable, but then we put together the Benghazi special committee and look at her numbers today. Mm. This is how the party thinks. This is how they work. This inquiry has nothing to do with helping the American people. It's 100% about keeping themselves in power despite the American people. It is a trick and a ruse and a sleight of hand and you shouldn't fall for it. When asked directly what specific constitutional crimes they were investigating, the Republican representatives said high crimes, misdemeanors, and bribery. And I agree, that sounds terrible. But when asked which high crimes, misdemeanor, and bribery, they said, we'll let you know when we figure it out. Or find it. Well, that's not how it's supposed to work at all. Right. Imagine you were publicly accused of bribery and you were like, what bribery? And the government officials accusing you were like, we'll let you know when we figure it out. <laughs> You'd be upset, right? Yeah. You'd be like, this isn't fair. I didn't do anything. You can't just accuse someone of a crime you don't have any evidence of. Right. But that is exactly what the Republicans are doing. Mm -hmm. James Comer, the chair of the House Oversight Committee, has told us the evidence against Joe Biden is irrefutable. He had whistleblowers and witnesses all ready to testify. He had $50 million of direct payments to Joe Biden that he could prove went right into his account. And he has none of that. And his witnesses and whistleblowers are either criminals who are in the wind or people who testified that Biden did nothing wrong. So far, all Comer's been able to prove is that Joe Biden was repaid by family members for loans he gave them when he wasn't in office. And if you've ever helped your kid with a car payment or loaned your brother money when he was in a tough spot, Rest assured, that was not a crime, despite what James Comer and the Republicans would have you believe. The fact is, the Republicans have spent a good part of the last four years painting Joe Biden like the head of some international crime family, with thousands of bank accounts and laundered money, but it's all fabricated nonsense. There have been so many accusations, but there is literally zero evidence that Joe Biden is tied to a single crime. And again, as an American who's paying for these committees and these fishing expeditions, and now this impeachment inquiry, as an American who needs their representatives to actually do the job of running the government, as an American who cares about the rule of law and wants our government to be following it, this entire situation is a travesty, a waste of time and money with nothing to show but a partisan vote to continue this government-funded smear campaign. The irony of the whole thing, of course, is that of every politician in Washington, the Republicans are attempting to find dirt on the biggest Boy Scout in America. 
Joe Biden has been in federal government since his 30th birthday. He ran for president in 1988, in 2008, in 2020. He was the vice president of the United States from 2009 to 2017. This man has been vetted. If there was dirt on Joe Biden, the Republicans would have it by now. But the problem is in today's political and media environment, it doesn't matter that the story isn't true. It doesn't matter that they have no evidence or that as Republican representative Ken Buck said, the entire thing rests on fictitious facts and imagined history. The bottom line is the de facto leader of the Republican party, the twice impeached criminally indicted rapist currently dealing with 91 felony charges who has publicly said he plans to be a dictator mm. wants this to happen. Mm. And every Republican is now on record choosing his will over the truth and the law. So let this vote finally clarify for the American people that there are no Republican moderates left. The Republican Party you know is gone. This is a party of extremists and cowards who want to punish Joe Biden for doing the very thing they say is impossible, which is making government work. They can't be reasoned with. They're not coming to their senses. This is why Republican presidential nominee Mitt Romney and conservative scion and queen of the GOP Liz Cheney are gone and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert are here. Lauren Boebert actually made a good point the other day when she was attempting to slander Joe Biden. She claimed that people come up to her all the time and ask how such a corrupt man can still be in office. Mm -hmm. And the answer, Lauren, is that he couldn't. If there was any evidence Joe Biden had done all the things he's accused of, he'd be gone and the Democrats would be on board. But there isn't. So he's here. What people should be asking you, Lauren, is why you continue to lie to them and make up fantasies to stoke a never ending partisan battle that does nothing to help the American people. At the end of the day, Roger Stone doesn't have a full back tattoo of Nixon because he was innocent. He has one because Nixon is his hero. Nixon was the kind of leader who would do anything to win, including lie and cheat and steal. And he was forced to resign because the old Republican Party wouldn't stand for a criminal as their leader. I ask you, where are those patriots now? This isn't at all how the country is supposed to work, and this shouldn't be what the country chooses to accept. Lee McGowan, a.k.a. Politics Girl, with some... Uh, to me, that's one of the more heated uh, social media commentary she's given. She gave that uh, just before Christmas, by the way. She said Republicans would rather lie and cheat and steal. And, and she's not wrong. There is the big lie... There is the cheating that is rampant. We're just seeing gerrymandering at the state level. And of course, stealing Supreme Court seats. Hmm. No big deal, right? How's that Dobbs decision working for you, ladies? She argued that they want to fight the prospect of making government work. And oh my gosh, is, is there not a greater example of that than the very border crisis that they are fawning and preening about? Here's the thing that gets me, and I know this is kind of going off subject, but here's the thing that kind of gets me about our, air quotes, immigration crisis. First of all, we have an aging workforce that is going to continue falling short of meeting the needs of industry and entrepreneurship in this country. We need more workers. We have people coming here from destabilized Latin American countries who would gladly work for an opportunity to call any place safe and secure home. It just so happens they come to our country to do that work, 
to fill jobs that need to be filled. And in general, for pay that us cushy Americans wouldn't accept for our time. This is kind of baffling to me. It's literally a need for American business that can be met. And all we have to do is come up with a cogent and tangible, attainable way for folks to get a work visa, come here if they are seeking asylum for international law meeting needs, and we find a process that makes it happen. The right would, however, tell you that the left is just looking to procure more voters. Well, Latin Americans tend to be more socially conservative than most liberal Americans are. So one would think that the value of hard work and conservative social mentality would mean they'd find more common cause with Republicans, right? So then what is it? Is it xenophobia? I mean, on some level, yes. But I also think that there has been this decades-long argument from the GOP that they're coming for your gerbs. They're coming to take your non-white-collar, very much blue-collar, works-with-your-hands kind of job. Friend of the show, Georgia recorder, reporter and opinion writer Jay Bookman tweets just a few days ago, by the way. Honest question, have we seen a GOP plan on immigration? No. They, a wall. It's a Band-Aid. That's not... Again, this is like putting a Band-Aid on knowing you have cancer. That doesn't fix cancer. It's just a Band-Aid. Makes you feel better, maybe, that you see a Band-Aid, but does it cure cancer? Anyway, have we seen a GOP plan on immigration? Has the GOP House drafted and passed remedial legislation to address the issue they believe is the most pressing confronting the nation? In the absence of a GOP solution, should we doubt their good faith concern? Former Democrat, former Georgia House member, now Republican Vernon Jones chimed in on Jay's tweet. We clearly have seen Joe Biden's, the U.S. House and Senate Democrat plan. Let him in. I wonder what old Jay would do if they come to his neighborhood. I think I'll provide them your address. L-M-A-O exclamation point with a video of migrants marching. I decided to respond to that. A churlish and not unexpected response. Vernon nor the GOP have anything more than xenophobic band-aids to placate their fretting base, fearful their gerbs are going to Pedro instead of GED grad Paul. Turning people away doesn't undo a century plus of Latin American destabilization, which they've no interest in addressing, let alone acknowledging. Band-aids, like walls and ignoring international laws on asylum, don't cure cancer. Finding what causes cancer and treating the cause to eliminate it would. But that's a complex solution to a complex problem that Republicans make simple-looking to their base. We have people coming here. We should put up a wall. That'll stop them. From what? Coming to the wall? Obviously not. Because Donald erected the wall through out most of our southern border. And yet, you keep harping on the fact that there are these record numbers of people coming. Well, well gosh, it, it seems like even just saying we were going to erect a wall, let alone actually erecting most of it, didn't actually fix anything, did it? 
So now we want to send our military to the border to greet people who are coming here seeking asylum, who are fleeing violence and oppression and economic depravity, climate change issues. So much for give me your poor, your tired, your huddled masses, whatever. It, it, that's not, oh wait that that was meant for the white people coming from Europe on the boats at Staten Island and not our southern border. I forgot. You know, at some point in time, American voters have to decide if they want a government that, I don't know, governs, or if they want to just keep being entertained by clowns. Because I'm going to put it to you like this. Say you're in high school and you go to the auditorium because you've got the debate for class president and you've got two candidates, and one of the candidates is the smart person who has some plans and really wants to help make the school better and set up a landscaping committee and maybe a tutoring committee and this, that, and the other. And their opponent is the wealthy, popular person with yo mama jokes stacked on note cards to use in the debate. Now, which candidate's going to be more entertaining and which candidate's going to actually make your school better? No, it really is that simple. It's elementary. I know, I know, I know. I said high school. Nonetheless, you get the point. They're down at the southern border making noise, but they're not in Washington working on immigration reform, let alone keeping our government funded. More on show after this on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Final segment of the Ron Show, and while I let myself wander from politics girl talking about impeachment to the stagnancy on immigration. By the way, we haven't had immigration reform since, what, 1986? It's been nearly four decades. And Bill Nugget wrote a really good opinion piece in the AJC. I'll share in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com. He actually brought up Reagan's final speech as president, where he kind of wrote something of a love letter to immigrants. That's right, the man who gave amnesty to three million immigrants, but also in that bipartisan reform, uh, stiffened penalties against people who knowingly hire non-legal uh, immigration uh, immigrant labor. But uh, I want to play a few minutes of that final speech. Uh, the folks at Now This uh, did a nice little viral video for that. Since this is the last speech that I will give as president, I think it's fitting to leave one final thought, an observation about a country which I love. It was stated best in a letter I received not long ago. A man wrote me and said, you can go to live in France, but you cannot become a Frenchman. You can go to live in Germany or Turkey or Japan, but you cannot become a German, a Turk or Japanese. But anyone from any corner of the earth can come to live in America and become an American. Mm. Yes, the torch of Lady Liberty symbolizes our freedom and represents our heritage, the compact with our parents, our grandparents, and our ancestors. It is that lady who gives us our great and special place in the world. For it's the great life force of each generation of new Americans that guarantees that America's triumph shall continue unsurpassed into the next century and beyond. Other countries may seek to compete with us, but in one vital area, as a beacon of freedom and opportunity that draws the people of the world, no country on earth comes close. This, I believe, is one of the most important sources of America's greatness. We lead the world because, unique among nations, we draw our people, our strength, from every country and every corner of the world. 
and by doing so we continuously renew and enrich our nation. While other countries cling to the stale past here in America, we breathe life into dreams, we create the future, and the world follows us into tomorrow. Thanks to each wave of new arrivals to this land of opportunity, we're a nation forever young, forever bursting with energy and new ideas, and always on the cutting edge, always leading the world to the next frontier. This quality is vital to our future as a nation. If we ever close the door to new Americans, our leadership in the world would soon be lost. And I'll pick up right there because Bill Nygut shared some of those quotes in the OP at the AJC and then said, for Reagan, this was more than rhetoric in 1986. I mentioned he signed the Simpson-Mazzoli Act, the measure that strengthened border security measures and imposed penalties on employees who knowingly hired undocumented workers. But it also gave amnesty to some three million people who'd been living here illegally. Simpson-Mazzoli didn't solve the complex problems of immigration, obviously, as Nygut wrote, and actually exacerbated some of them. And so it was judged a failure, but it may be most notable because to this day, it's the last bipartisan major immigration reform measure passed by Congress. And almost four decades since, that hurts, there have been good faith efforts to change our policies. Republican President George W. Bush, for example, Bill Nygut writes, ran on comprehensive immigration reform, saying America can be a lawful country and a welcome country at the same time. But he couldn't persuade members of his own party to support a bill that, in addition to increasing border security, offered a path to legal status for those living in the country illegally. One of those willing to work on reform during the Bush era was Georgia Republican Senator Saxby Chambliss. His main interest was strengthening a guest worker program that would allow Georgia farmers to more easily hire undocumented laborers. But when Chambliss told delegates at the 2007 state GOP convention he was working on a reform bill with a bipartisan group of senators, including Ted Kennedy, he was loudly booed. Chambliss eventually voted against the bill that emerged as he approached his re-election campaign of 2008. Further down in the piece, Nygut writes, Hanging in the balance are billions of dollars of funding for Ukraine and Israel, while past reform efforts have coupled hardened border security with expanded legal rights for immigrants. The current talks are focused only on stemming the flood of immigrants seeking refugee protections. President Biden has angered pro-immigration groups by declaring he is open to increasing expulsion and mandatory detention at the border in exchange for Senate GOP support for funds for Ukraine and Israel. And yet, what to do, Bill writes? The overwhelming number of migrants now flooding the southern border cries out for a sustainable bipartisan solution. CBS News cites federal data obtained showing that in five days recently, Border Patrol agents processed 50,000 immigrants crossing illegally into the United States and 1,500 a day are entering at official crossing points. But as negotiations in Washington stumble forward, Democrats fear they are losing the battle to assert the important role immigrants have long played in enriching American life. In a Des Moines Register NBC News poll released this week, 42% of Iowa Republican caucus goers said that Donald Trump's recent remarks about immigrants poisoning the blood of the country make them more likely to support him. It's disconcerting to think just how far much of the country has come from that majestic vision Ronald Reagan described in that long-ago farewell speech. It is bold men and women yearning for freedom and opportunity who leave their homelands and come to a new country to start their lives over. They believe in the American dream, and over and over they make it come true for themselves, for their children, and for others. They give more than they receive, they labor and succeed, and often they are entrepreneurs. 
but their greatest contribution is more than economic because they understand in a special way how glorious it is to be an American. They renew our pride and gratitude in the United States of America, the greatest, freest nation in the world, the last best hope of men on earth. Not only would that guy not win the GOP primary, he would be labeled a progressive, socialist, liberal, and that would cost him any shot at the Democratic presidential nomination. As a bit of an American history junkie, I will never tell you that the Reagan presidency was a great chapter in American history. His economic policies continue to haunt us today and has grown the gap between the wealth, the middle, and the working class. But I can at least hearken back and wax nostalgic for an era when Republicans actually tried to govern sometimes. It's going to do it for The Ron Show. Back here tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Show notes for today, we got them, ronshowatl.com. Have a great one.